Hello, Ready Manor Zone, and this is Mountain's Gadget Talk for Thursday, 3rd of December 2020. Obviously, uh, this week has kind of come to an end, but we have plenty of things to talk about. Uh, so let's just, I mean, without further ado, let's just get in. We have, we, we probably have, we're probably never out of stuff to talk about. Even this is in the last month of this year, still lots to talk about, but oh well. Last episode we talked about the uh, we've talked about the fact that uh, they're obviously that the newest Android flagship chipset has been coming out has come out, which will probably be dominating all of 2021 flagships, and that is the Snapdragon 888. Now I mentioned on the previous episode that we didn't know much. That was they rolled it out just uh, then on the in, on the first of December, but now we obviously uh, yesterday they added they. Added in more details about the Snapdragon 888, uh, as I like to call it, the 888 or the 888, pretty much. Uh, what what to expect, kind of. So let's just let's just let's just go through like the details, you know. So so you know, get a better understanding of what's powering pretty much uh, the 2021 flagship chip for all Android phones. You'll see in all flagships except for Samsung's, except and Huawei's to an extent. So we can't talk about the Snapdragon 888 without talking about the internal CPU that's inside. Obviously, this is a whole system on package, which means that obviously a whole lot of components are on a single chip. So first, we talk about the the central processing unit. It's an eight-core CPU, so you have one high-performance Cortex-X1 core running at 2.84 gigahertz, uh, and you pretty much get a good chunk of cache. On top of that, you have three decently fast, as I like to call it, Cortex-A78 cores, all clocked at roughly 2.4 gigahertz. And finally, four just regular plain old Cortex-A55 cores at 1.8 gigahertz. Uh, so, and with it, you have four megabytes of L3 cache and three megabytes of system cache. So that's with the CPU. Overall, uh, you get 25% performance uplift and 25% better efficiency. Not much, but if you're coming from a couple of generations that are two generations before, you'll notice a big difference straight away. On top of that, you have an Adreno 660 GPU. Now this comes with, uh, this has tons of features. Um, Primarily, if I could, so uh, you get sub-pixel rendering, 10-bit HDR, uniformity. You get OLED display uniformity. I don't know what's the deal with that, but okay. Uh, overall, you get 35% faster graphics rendering, 20% better efficiency, and interesting for for smartphone gaming, variable rate shading, which means that you can run shaders on two to four pixels at a time instead of one, which means that. Um, use basically it's more efficiency pretty much uh and on top of that they've added some an interesting uh tech piece of technology there's essentially qualcomm gain quick touch which essentially improves touch latency so uh, you get an overall 10 to 20 percent improvement depending on frame rate so with 60 playing a game at 60 frames a second you get 20 percent improvement and in touch response which can help with first person shooters and things like free fire and pubg mobile if you're into that kind of stuff well, that's just like a little feature with the GPU. Overall, uh, you could you could play regular mobile games up to 144 frames per second. Not that you really need it. Honestly, 60 frames a second, if you could do that comfortably, that would be wonders. Or even 100 frames per second, that would do wonders alone. That was the, the, that was the Adreno 660 GPU right there. So you have both of that. 
on top of all this, uh, in terms of connectivity, which is the most important aspect of the 888, and I think that's why it's a big upgrade from, say, the 865 and 855, uh, which had 5G pretty much without a problem, the Snapdragon 888 is the first uh, system-on-chip processor, pretty much completely, to have a built-in 5G modem. Now, this is kind of a big deal because in 865 and 855, there was a separate network chip that set basically next door to the C to the SOC, doing 5G ac 5G uh, transmission action, and obviously only now with say Apple and Huawei's chips, both have built-in 5G modems straight away without a problem. And now the 888 features a X60 5G modem. The X60 5G modem can do sub six and millimeter wave 5G. Can theoretically, theoretically, in real life, you won't really get this far, but hey, it's a welcome, it comes in handy, but uh, theoretically, you can get 7.5 gigabits of download speeds and up and upload and uplink speeds of up to three gigabits per second uh, through through 5G connection. Now, if you have honestly, if you have real life 5G networks, you're not gonna get this quickly. Uh, you won't be able to transfer a file at 7.5 gigabits per second. Uh, it won't hit seven gigabits per second at least. Apparently, this is gonna be a possible on a private 5G network. You know those like little they put some big old antennas and stuff. You know on milli private millimeter wave networks. They're doing it at certain uh, at certain offices and plants and manufacturing facilities and ideas essentially you can quickly do quick file transfers yes you want to access youtube in three seconds but or or get 10 gigabit per second 5g but it would be great for file transferring because and uh, to tap into applications on site you know or servers on site you know private 5g is going to be a big thing in the next couple of years you know, like for law corporate sites, you know, like plants and manufacturing and overall offices, if you can do wireless, it'd be, would offer a f better wireless experience, a vi better wireless communication experience because you can essentially just blast files straight away or access functions in the office or in the in the plant. You can access data right away and you can do, take actions. And I, I, I mean, there's a trend of corporate uses for 5G. You can Google it. Network for network uh, infrastructure folks like Huawei and Ericsson. I've been bragging about it for years. I'm probably now saying what is the most practical element of it. But overall, private 5G is a big, big deal. That where that's where you're probably able to see the theoretical speeds hit because you can put nicer gear and there's no there's no bottlenecking. Unlike with regular cellular networks, regular cellular networks have reg have typical. Bottlenecking. Bottlenecking is a big, big problem, guys. I tell you. I tell you. There's a big bottleneck issue with cellular networks. And you can't really get all those guaranteed gigabit speeds. Uh, probably it just depends on the overall end, end, as they say, the end, the end, back end, pretty much. If the back end can all do gigabit instant without, without taking hitches, if it can easily go do gigabit, then you'll get gigabit speeds. So that's contingent on the network. But private 5G. It's like having a private LAN, really. You could send a file across the network if you have the right equipment and the right networking gear. You can send a file and it can go as, as far as 9 gigabits per second. So private millimeter wave 5G networks are a big deal. So yeah, you're able to take advantage of that. It's not a bad idea. So you can go this quickly if you have a little network of your own in your office or industrial environment. And just do, do, do Google it. It's a quite an interesting trend that's going to only grow uh more and more but obviously if you're not into 5g there's also the other little chip that they've added the fast connect 6900 interesting uh which basically features wi-fi 6 and five wi-fi 6e 
that's interesting. So apparently, a Wi-Fi AX, as it's known, says AC, and then there's Wi-Fi 6, and then there's AX. And the idea is you can essentially, over Wi-Fi, you get 3.6 gigabits per second. So it's incredibly fast. And the idea is that it's much faster Wi-Fi. You can even stream games if you want to, even though you, you're very welcome to do so, but it's not going to help. Overall, aside from that, uh, this Wi-Fi 6E, I believe, gives you 6 gigahertz capacity now for f f for Wi-Fi services. I just Isn't it for 5G? Sub-6 millimeter wave? It, it depends, really. Uh, you get wider you get wider spectrum, and obviously, it's just better overall. Um, you know, you can even mix, so you can do double band simultaneous, 2x2 plus 2x2, and the idea is you can have four. You can grab Wi-Fi from four frequencies and get as I like to th think of it, and get really, really fast performance. On top of that, Bluetooth, well, we all have Bluetooth speakers. Uh, the 888 has obviously an improved, in that connectivity core, the Fast Connect chip has better Bluetooth connectivity. You get dual Bluetooth antennas easily, uh, and improves link robustness to 20 decibels. So, you know, it's a little faster, you could say. Um, advanced modulation encoding, so link robustness up to 9 decibels. Don't know what this does for wireless audio, but okay. Um, so, LE, and this is this is interesting. LE audio, Bluetooth Low Energy Audio Broadcast, provides a blanket of Bluetooth audio that all compatible devices within range can connect to. That's interesting. That'd be cool for, for multiple. That'd be, that, that, that sounds boring, but it's fun for party speakers. I mean, you can have three speakers and you can have, still have the same connection. Same phone connected, pretty much. That's interesting. And, uh, as always, Qualcomm's Aptex Tech, which uh, helps give you crystal crystal clear wireless audio, which is interesting. You got Bluetooth 5.2 as a result, and obviously all of the Aptex features, which is not a problem, if you ask me. Uh, on top of that, there is, and then, uh, so that's connectivity overall. And then the camera part is interesting. So, you get a triple ISP for on the triple eight is the first snapdragon trip that can do this and that means you can get three different camera streams that can you can process simultaneously or just obviously do it separately if you want to so for one you can handle three 4k hdr video streams or three 28 megapixel cameras at the same time so for phones that now have multiple sensors you can essentially um so you get a much smoother and much faster response now as a multi sensor multi multi-camera multi-sensor phones especially with multiple cameras like it'll get much better now this is the this is now if you've been thinking of a triple camera phone or a four or five sensor phone to getting one ultra fast performance it's like neck and neck with the iphone i can th imagine uh this is not the chip to get one and this is now the chip that can do it so you get three isps essentially image signal processors and that definitely helps in processing lots and lots of photos uh, you can essentially, uh, and you can take multiple, essentially, on the iPhones for the longest time, and probably Samsung's, you easily could switch through to multiple sensors instantly. You can even capture content, you can even capture photos or even videos from multiple sensors and you can pick. So it improves performance, it basically is more, it, it's more, it's more of a utility purpose. You can, you can just quickly switch uh, sensors and also you can pick the version that is best. So you can switch in real time. So it's a, 
it, it's it's a it's it's a quality of life improvement for those who have high-end phones as always this is the stuff that sits on high-end phones so this is actually a nice touch additional isp which is awesome uh no i'm not talking about inter internet service providers image signal processors because it is to pick up a stuff on the sensor and you know you know what i'm talking about and also on top of that you can now do staggered hdr so you can uh, so you can add you can get more color uh, on short medium and long exposures you can now record 10 bit you can do 10 bit hdr photos and uh, already on the x65 you could record hdr video but now uh, obviously triple eight will also do hdr video recording which is kind of awesome on top of all this the ISPs on the Triple Eight can do 4K video at 120 frames per second, so it's all maxed out. And at the same time, you could take up to 120 photos per second at 12 megapixel resolution. Now, obviously, the thing is, not all phones will be able to take full advantage of it. So, honestly, uh, it's on the chipset, but on various Android phones, you won't be able to take advantage of these additional feature sets. You'll have to find a phone that really does tap into all this functionality. Really, some of the more high-end phones that focus on the camera or the processor or things like gaming, you're able to take advantage of those features straight away in this G GPU, the CPU, and say the camera. Sort of, you know, those have multiple uh, multiple crispy cameras or uh, are gaming focused. You're able to take advantage of those features on Triple Eight. So aside from my blabbering on those functions, essentially, and then you have a six-gen AI engine, so you get 26 TOPs uh, on a GPU and you get better power efficiency and three times performance per watt. The second generation sensing hub also is more efficient, theoretically. Uh, so um, it processes AI tasks and that's the thing. So, um, so yeah, uh, there are lots of interesting things, uh, you know. Uh, more interesting is the feature called Hypervisor, which essentially it lets you run different OSs for different, uh, you can have a isolated OS uh, for for different applications, which is kind of cool for security purposes. And also this would be great for computers if they probably manage to make one, or it'd be great for phones that tend to have multiple UIs. You know, like Samsung phones that have DeX and then regular Android. And so if you connect, so if you basically screen mirror your, your Note 20 or your S30, for example, to your TV, so jump straight to Dex, and that's doing it right on the phone in real time. And that means you have to have have to isolate. You have to create a separate sort of like a scenario, like a separate instance. And so hypervisor is a cool feature that the Triple Eight can do. And obviously, if the Triple Eight can support it, it is it won't lag heavily. So it's kind of cool. And it's also if this, uh, not like I'm saying this could be on tablets or essentially you could have multiple modes. I can imagine you could, different use cases. You can now have desktop. You can now, now all different phones from all different brands can offer desktop mode, can, uh, can now offer phones that can do desktop mode. I can imagine this is a good use of it. And also when you obviously dock your phone to charge for charging on a wireless charger, you can have the Google Assistant running in the background completely straight away. It won't really butt into the actual main phone. Uh, now I'm probably stretched it, but it's a good idea. And finally, Triple Eight is the first to do Quick Charge Five. The Quick uh, Qualcomm Quick Charge Five can do up to 100 watts of fast charging without obviously burning the whole complete, uh, burning the phone completely. Um, um, Interestingly, you could do three point between you can do you can charge your phone between three point three volts and twenty volts, 
uh, and you can go from five and you could start from three ampere to five ampere so you do the math 20 times five is 100 and it can go well beyond 45 watts into 100 watts and um and uh, obviously it's required USB-C to, apparently it says it's a connector agnostic. So if you have a funky connector, it can do quick charge five, which is interesting. Uh, and it's kind of backwards compatible. So it could still do quick charge 2.0. And, and as announced and said, quick charge five could do USB power delivery. So this is for plugs and stuff and power banks that can do quick charge five. Uh, now that's basically all the features on the on the uh, Snapdragon 888, which is kind of awesome. Um, I mean, it's, it's slightly better. It's just, it's just adding stuff that Apple did it a long time ago. I don't, okay, this is, that about you though, um, you know, like, is this adding a, it's a bunch of pretty utilitarian features. It's a little faster. There's some slight, there, there are uh, basically, uh, if you're just comparing it to the previous generation, it's a little bit faster, but obviously two, three generations ago, it's a tad whole lot faster, built in 5G. Uh, and that'll be a bit more more power efficient for compared to a two or three year old chipset, uh, Qualcomm chip. Uh, it's more power efficient. You have 5G built in, that helps. Uh, quality of life improvements, especially with the can with the three ISPs and and the connectivity chips and 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 hypervisor that would definitely add to quality of life improvements on top of the quick charge five in my own opinion so that's freaking awesome uh snapdragon triple eight it's coming next year all high-end phones will pro a lot of high-end phones that are not a huawei or a samsung will have a the snapdragon triple eight uh, lots of brands have signed up to offer sd triple eight phones uh, the usual suspects are on the, on the cards including and also some unusual ones like one plus uh realme realme is going to quickly launch a a high-end uh, probably next year hopefully in the next four or five months plenty of brands committed here probably as many as 13 brand 13 brands in general that will have a snapdragon triple eight phones uh, in 2021 not say guaranteeing early next year throughout 2021 this means they'll probably have the triple eight and probably the updated version so that's 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 exciting and while we're at it uh, we've talked a lot about the triple eight. Um, they're also going to have a 700 series chip early next year. And this is because of a leaker on way on China Weibo. And they've said, stated that there's a new 700 series chip that Qualcomm will launch in Q1 2021. And, uh, apparently this will compete with the Exynos 1080 that has a built-in 5G chip and so an immediate tech equivalent that's yet to be shown off, which is interesting. Uh, the only thing we know kind of it's codenamed Cedros, which is based which is based on island in Mexico that's next to San Diego, which is kinda interesting. And apparently, uh, the prototype chip has scored has already scored five hundred and thirty thousand uh on Antutu, which is interesting. So it's a step up from the seven sixty five uh G and definitely mind blowingly faster than seven twenty G. I mean, it's just bananas. You know, oh well. So those are the Qualcomm chips and they're coming next year and it's gonna be fun, fun time ahead. It's um, honestly, if you're upgrading from a two, three year old phone at least, 
two to four year old phone, if you've already been using an Android phone for the last two years, have a flagship or a mid-ranger uh, for the last two years, the last four years, between that period, you really get, uh, it's, it's, it's a good time to upgrade completely. So that's that. Uh, so um, do be on the lookout. Honestly, from, from the looks of that now, uh, which kind of Snapdragon Triple Eight phones to look out for? I'm probably saying ROG Phone Four. You probably want to get that. Then there's One Plus Nine, which is I'm looking forward to that. Um, I mean, uh, camera camera department. This is gonna be a tough one. Samsung. They only offer Qualcomm models in the U.S. and Europe, Western Europe, and stuff. So we'll have to wait for that. That's the problem. And the then leaves Xiaomi and Oppo. They're the only ones that offer excellent top high performance cameras with with high end uh, Snapdragon chips. So that's definitely, so yeah, you'll probably have to wait. We'll have to see now. With Now we'll have to see sort of the whole bre length and breadth of Snapdragon Eight flagships that'll come out uh, next year. 2021 is looking to be interesting. It's coming up to be about 21 minutes since we started recording this. So that's interesting. I hope 2021 goes really well. I'm hopefully somewhere better. That's all I'm hoping. I'm not jinxing it, really. I think that I, I feel like the Fine X3 and the Oppo Mi, uh, sorry, the Xiaomi Mi 11 could have, uh, the pros kind of would have really bonkers cameras and they could take advantage of the Snapdragon 888's, uh, you know, ISPs sort of. So that's interesting. Alrighty, we are obviously talking a whole lot about stuff that's going to come out in 2021. And one of these things is the Galaxy Buds Pro. And uh, it's been leaked like uh, it's been leaked already. Uh, already there was the FCC filing, which kind of happens. You you kind of have to tell the regulators what you're up to. But then on top of that, uh, now we have a look. We probably have a look, complete look at the, on the on the buds and its uh, its charging case. If I could just bring up a picture for myself. Um, I mean, uh, what is this? Okay, fine. God, cookies are everywhere. I mean, you guys get annoyed with cookies. Uh, let me know. Um, so the interesting thing is the Galaxy Buds Pro has this, uh, has basically super, has this, uh, continues the glossy as design of the Buds Live. Uh, it's not beanie, it's a bit more rounded and it's got interchangeable ear tips from the looks of it. Apparently, this is even the good old EB leaks, Ivan Blass leaked this completely. Big shout out to him. Uh, you have a 500 milliamp hour battery. You get active noise cancellation, which is interesting to say the least. Now this is this, uh, now the buds and the case of the picture. We have pictures here, and this is kind of in a kind of this uh, violet, violet kind of light blue color. And the case looks a little like the bu buds live, uh, and the, but though the, the the buds themselves are a different design, which is a bit more rounded. Uh, apparently, it's a bit more sportier than um, than uh, than regular. Galaxy Buds, so that's interesting. So you could say it's a, it's actually a little more. I think it has a lot more uh, shine and glimmer compared to the original Galaxy Buds. It's not like built for. It's a bit more it's more fancy. Hence the name Pro. It's the Buds Pro, so it's a bit fancy, fancy schmancy. Um. I mean. Uh, so this could come out in like February and stuff, and that's the thing really. 
I don't know about active noise cancelling. I haven't again. I haven't played with these devices. I can't tell you how good the ANC is. Why I've kind of heard is it's kind of based on how you put it. You know, so if you kind of seal your air up, it's like the AirPods Pro. If you seal the air up completely, if you, it's it's you know like if you pop it in completely in your ear and there's no like room for the air to go out or something or leakage, then it's true air noise cancellation. But there on the, but from the looks of it, compared to the live, it has interchangeable earbuds from the looks of it and that means you can able to pop out and change the you can adjust the size and that's awesome so um i mean it's gonna come out with the s21 and the s30 and that's the thing well we have a little picture of it and that's interesting uh i mean it's uh, also the s30 s21 would have a violet color from the looks of it because uh, the var variables and accessories can have the same colors as the actual phones like you know the note 20 with the buds live that's the same color copper gold so that's interesting. So, yeah, um, I mean, I'd love to buy Galaxy Buds though. That I've heard nice things about it, and that's the thing. So, uh, we have a Pro now. So it's a little, it should be a little better than the AirPods Pro, hopefully. So this next one is kind of troubling. It's kind of interesting situation for Apple. Apparently, and what's kind of been happening is that we all know the iPhone 12 series, all of it. Apple's been removing the earbuds and so the wall, the wall plug, the wall charger from the box completely to sort of save space and to cut back on environment instead of the waste of of packaging every iphone i mean if you're really uh, if you're well if you buy like 10 iphones and you're a millionaire you probably should have your own home charging solution or like you you can buy apples as like wall plugs but obviously fortunately enough uh, almost everyone on earth buys an iphone so some people probably are very unlucky if they don't get a charger on the box and that's the only one they use all the time but essentially but apparently we all know that's happened but apparently in brazil the so the pr protect consumer protection sort of body sort of in brazil has questioned has essentially uh has sort of uh contact essentially this is uh they've now state stated this on wednesday that the power adapter is an essential part for the user product and so the iphone without is a it is against the Brazilian Consumer Defense Code. Uh, and this is from Mac Rumors. They've wrote this down here. Uh, the agency, how, uh, moreover, the agency said that Apple had not sufficiently demonstrated evidence of the environmental benefits of removing the charger from the box and failed to make it clear in marketing materials that one is no longer included. You know, batteries not included, charger not included, buy sep sold separately. They don't. They don't do that. Apple's contact. Apple's conduct will will now be reviewed by the agency's supervisory board and this may result in a fine. Although the decision is exclusive to the state of Sao Paulo, Brazil's federal government is also said to be looking at forcing Apple to sell the iPhones with the power adapter in the, including the box nationwide. Now, the thing is not, it's not like everywhere all over the world they sell the iPhone without a power adapter, AirPods in the box. Like they actually do that in France apparently because well, they actually include, um, they include uh, headphones actually, not the power brick. I mean, France they include the AirPod because apparently phones have to have a hands free kit for because phones can be used by kids under the age of 14 and there's a radiation problem, even though some would say, not proven, bro. Uh, but it's there, so yeah. Uh, but in Brazil, this is an interesting situation in Sao Paulo, which is Brazil's most populous city. Obviously, now iPhones that are sold there have to have a power brick because apparently the Consumer Protection Authority, sort of the sort of the body over there, has sta has stated that Apple can't just sell an iPhone without a power brick. Now, 
I mean, Apple's honestly, Apple's being forced to do this. It's just interesting. Like, it's. I mean, I mean, you can't mess with the law. Like, the law, law has something to say here. Um, and it's interesting. Someone, I think this is someone from Brazil, commented in the section. I'll I'll read this point here, because it's it'll give you a reason why, the why the. I'm sure this is the perspective of the Consumer Protection Agency, why they uh, kind of grilled Apple to continue to include a power adapter in the box. Explain the key decision here. Procon, uh, here, Procon argued that if you fry your iPhone with a fake charger or a different brand, Apple denies service. If they're denying service, it means that they, they will only cover services under warranty if an Apple charger was in use when your iPhone died. So it means you'll be forced to buy an Apple charger that's not included, which is characterized as some sort of tie-in sale and illegal activity in Brazil. That's interesting. Not to mention that they're forced by consumer's law to inform in every piece of marketing material that the iPhone had a reduction in accessories included. I think in this part, you can exclude those new models, but all the older models had those accessories removed too. Well, the last one didn't make sense, but it's kind of interesting. Um, is this is this interesting that... Uh, that um, that uh, that I mean, okay, they don't include a power brick, but the fact that you could use another one. But what if what if something goes wrong with the iPhone? God forbid, um, and then Apple won't really fix your iPhone. So Apple won't fix your iPhone if you use their charger, and that's kind of illegal. That's like duping consumers into you know, like you have to have this to get that. That's not fair. Hence. That's also another reason, and there's also, and also, the, I'm sure, and also, like most people, I'm sure they're not really convinced about. I'm sure they're not really convinced of the, of the, uh, quite figuratively, of the environmental benefits because really, uh, the iPhone's kind of. I mean, there's, it's my perspective, but you know that you, you know, you get the point, kind of. You lose money. I mean. If the iPhone kind of breaks and you have to switch it out there, but it, you know, you know the hardware, the uh, parts, parts locking thing where they have the cameras, like the cameras, camera parts are like, like you know, registered with the main phone. And so if you just use another camera sensor, it just won't work. So that's a problem that's just waiting to happen. And so I'm sure they're not convinced of the environmental benefits. You never know really the other excuses. I'm sure they, they, a lot of people have complained to them. Mainly that there's no charger in the box because really you can't just go out and buy a good charger. I mean, you're talking about Brazil. It's, Brazil is an emerging market. It's almost going up the economic ladder. But a lot of people buying iPhones, they're generally going to be annoyed that there's no charger in the box. You can't just buy a nice wall plug. They're very expensive. You can't justify the expense. You don't have like a cheap anchor charger, even if you can. So I'm sure that this is a. Gen I'm sure that they are genuinely getting mad at Apple for this. This is. I mean, it's not fair, man. Like you gotta. You have to improve. You have to offer. Um, you have to offer the, these functions, which is, I mean, you gotta offer a wall plug. And that's the law. You can't screw with the law. That's interesting. So, I mean, uh, hopefully, let's just hope that Apple does uh, cooperate in this case. So that's all I can say. All right. Since this is gadget talk, we probably talk about phones and stuff, but we also want to talk about car, electric cars and stuff. So. We Hyundai is one of the biggest car makers in the world. They have Hyundai and Kia. And the interesting part is that obviously, like most of the car industry, they are trying to move to electric. And they have actually made a bunch of electric vehicles. Obviously, the Kia Niro EV and then the Hyundai Kona. 
and obviously they have a whole sub-brand that they're launching based on the Ionic, um, the Hyundai Ionic EV that they made earlier, but now it's a whole brand of cars that they're launching because apparently a whole bunch of uh, cars under the Hyundai sort of subname, like uh, like Genesis, they're really going up the ladder in terms of. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously Hyundai is obviously one of the big five car makers in the world globally, and so they have to be ahead in the EV revolution. And so they've created a brand new, and so they've created a brand new uh, EV platform, essentially a new architecture on which all their cars can be built, a f- sort of a native EV infrastructure uh, for battery electric vehicles, pretty much. Uh, so, so what's this? Let's see. So the um, where did what's the name of it? I don't know what it stands for. Hang on. Uh, the electric global modular platform is Hyundai's sort of first, pretty much dedicated, kind of built for typical EVs. You know, they have batteries. You know, plug it in, charge them, boom. The, because the thing is, EVs are like so many kinds, but the most common one that we all know of is called battery electric vehicles. And then there's fuel cell, hybrid, um, kind of hybrid, uh, like 70-30 hybrid, you know, but this is battery electric vehicle. So, Hyundai has created this brand new architecture designed for completely full EV cars that have batteries and you, you know, charge them overnight and stuff. So apparently, the EGMP, as it's known, which is kind of a funky name, uh, basically reduces complexity because it has modularization and standardization. Essentially, it's not it's not some retrofit. It's no it's a it's a full it's a sort of a native EV design on which cars can be pa- packed on. It's not a it's not uh, it's not really a retro. It's not really an EV retrofitting or they're just adapting ice uh, structures for regular petrol and diesel cars to EVs by changing it out for the motor and battery, which is nice, but uh, any optimizations can help in performance because we need the like, EV first uh, architecture. So aside from that, um, what do we have here? So on top of that, a high high performance vehicle designed on EGMP can accelerate from zero to hundred in three point five three zero to hundred miles per second uh, in just three point five seconds and can reach as fast as two hundred sixty kilometers per hour, which is interesting. On top of that, um, there's obviously, I mean, the, the design is just like any other EV out there. The battery is in the center of the car. It's in the main, in the frame, it's in the center, essentially, to give you a better uh, gr- better uh, weight distribution. So the car's on wibbly wobbly, like it's in Tesla. Oh, shoot, see, this is the thing. It's, we compare it all to Tesla. It is, it is just as good as, they're, they've, they're tried, and it, and it looks obvious. They've put a lot of effort here. So... Uh, there's a high-speed electric motor, apparently a five-link rear suspension system, typically used for mid- and large-sized vehicle segments. The world's first integrated drive axle combines uh, wheeled bearings with drive shaft to transit power to the wheels, enhance ride comfort and handling stability. Uh, apparently, uh, the platform is kind of such that the battery is literally in the set, dead in the center with the with the metallic frame, like it's all integrated, and that means that essentially uh, there's better load distribution. Uh, so, um, the A-pillar's load distribution structure also prevents deformation of the passenger cell, which is interesting. So, um, the way, so, you know, it's unique for EVs, so that's kind of cool. And, uh, as always with EVs, with battery electrics, the thing is that since you have a battery in the middle, 
there's no transmission gear in the middle. Now you have sort of flat out interior space, so a wider interior space. So you have flat floor in the cabin as always. This is just like in Teslas. So I'm comparing everything to Tesla. I don't know why. Um, it's the most dense power. De it's the most power dense system that Hyundai has ever made. The battery inside the EGMP architecture. You get uh, you essentially get 10% better energy density. So um, and it's a bit lighter, which could help with building cars and a whole wide range of vehicle segments. I'm sure they are looking to. Uh, this is the electric architect EV architecture they're going to put on a wide range of cars, including the Ionic and Genesis and Kia cars, on top of the Hyundai ones. And yes, Hyundai architectures are then kind of in reverse used on Kia cars. So I'm actually, I kind of, actually, my my sister owns a Kia Cerato, so we'll probably upgrade to another Kia EV. So if this has the eGMP, it kind of win in this regard. So overall, um, in terms of... Uh, this is a super long technical information if you know cars and car architectures. But the thing is that overall, they've basically built a really solid motor motor system. Uh, they kind of have the battery right in the frame pretty much to give it more rigidity. And it made the frame pretty strong. And, um, and it has... Uh, and uh, the idea essentially is this, and that is that... Um, Oh, and the, here's the interesting part, is the drive motors. They're smaller than what are generally employed in other EVs. So essentially, they spin up to 70% larger. Okay, they spin up to 70% faster than their larger counterparts. But, uh, so you, ha you have much faster performance, but obviously, it w it, it's way smaller than typical e EV motor, uh, electric motors, which is kind of, this is, I think, a big revolution. I think this is where they could pretty much compete with Tesla. They can offer a wider range of vehicles, and this could help. So, um... Yeah, really. I mean, this is this is quite fascinating. So, um, so it's a whole. So they made it a bit more. So essentially, you have a compact uh, motor and tra uh, motor transmission and inverter. This could help offer. This could help them sell more styles of vehicles. This could help big time. And they basically built a standardized battery system. So that's kind of interesting. The eGMP relies on the rear wheel for propulsion. Customers are able to choose between rear wheel and all-wheel drive configurations. Motors with the latter can be equipped with an additional motor. The all-wheel drive system includes an EV transmission disconnector, which can control the connection between the additional motor and front wheels, and switch between two-wheel and all-wheel drive modes to enhance efficiency by offering an ideal level of power or performance for current driving conditions. So essentially... Um, this is really a solid EV architecture. I think uh, this and I think Volkswagen, I think this after Volkswagen and possibly Nissan, this is a solid EV architecture. I'm, I'm not a car and geek, but I'll tell you, this is robust. Like they've, they've thought out a lot of things, really. I think from a lot of the traditional big car makers, uh, Hyundai's like, this is really good. I mean, uh, this is impressive. I think the impressive parts to take out of it is how they've built a compact transmission and motor and I think that's kind of cool this means that they could offer uh, you could see a Sonata electric I'd, I'd buy an electric Sonata or an electric Stinger I'd probably buy one uh, finally that could be a thing and 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 and, and probably better crossers and SUVs they're more com they can pack more more space and which is I think is lovely but um, the motors and the batteries are not part of the story are, are just one part of the story charging because you buy EVs, you need to charge them. So, the eGMP 
uh, pretty much offers 800 volt, uh, sorry, 800 volt charging capacity, on top of already standard support for 400 volt volt charging. So you could do the fast 800 volt charging out of the gate, uh, which is already on the Porsches and stuff. So essentially, uh, if you have a if you have a 500 kilometer range uh, EV with this architecture. And based on WLTP ranges, estimates essentially, this is based on with a WLTP range of 500 kilometers, you could, ha you could fast charge an entire car from 0 to 80 in just 18 minutes. You could just add 100 more kilometers in 5 minutes. Now, this is actually a big deal. Uh, and that is basically the, with, the, with the 400 volt and the 800 volt, volt, sorry, I'm pronouncing it horribly wrong, the 400 and 800 volt charging tech, you could pretty much you could add a hundred extra kilometers in five minutes. This could be great for folks like my father. Like, I mean, you buy an electric Kia or Hyundai eventually. This could help big time. Um, so on top of that, uh, it has a new vehicle to functions, and that means it can automatically, you can additionally discharge energy from the vehicle battery with additional components. So you can, uh, so this essentially means that, uh, yeah, I mean, so you could, uh, where did it go here? So you could actually power stuff from the EVs, and essentially you could power stuff. Uh, hang on, let me let me see what what's written here. Uh, so the vehicle to load function means that you can basically supply 3.5 kilowatts of power. An idea is you can run a mid-size air conditioner and a 55-inch TV for 25 hours. Ooh. <laughs> Think about it. Like I can buy a technical. I mean, if 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 Hyundai sells electric variants of all their cars, which is lovely, I could buy a Santa Fe and make a gaming setup in the back. Like it says here, twenty-four hours of you can run a fifty-five-inch TV for twenty-four hours. That's kind of cool. So that's fun. Uh, so y'all be thinking, when 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 can we get to see the GMP, the Hyundai EGMP architecture in their EVs? So I'll start with the already with the EV first brand Ionic. Their Ionic five, six, and seven is going to start rolling in the next couple of years, and those will be the first cars that'll come out with the eGMP architecture right away. Which is I think that's kind of awesome. And over time, in the next decade, uh, and the thing it's not going to be immediate. Over the next decade, uh, essentially they plan to sell, they plan to offer twenty three battery electric vehicles, including dedicated eleven dedicated models. And the plan is they're going to sell a million of these EVs by 2025, which is not bad for a traditional car maker like Hyundai. They've got to get started somewhere. And as for Kia, they plan to obviously increase their share of EV sales to 20%. And when I mean EV, those EVs where there's a battery and you plug in to charge, as I'll have to wrench it for the fifth time because people think of, uh, some car lovers think of EVs with fuel cell engines and hybrids and, okay, I mean, but yeah. So the Ionic 5, 6, and 7 will, will, be, will obviously be the first to, to have this architecture, which I think is exciting. And not bad for a, from a big car maker like from Hyundai, especially a big Asian car maker from Hyundai. We've yet to hear from the big Japanese car makers like, like Toyota if they have something for EVs. This is solid. Uh, also, we don't know about Nissan uh, or Mitsubishi. I'm sure they're working on it, the behind the scenes. As for charging, They've already teamed up Ionity, so you're able to go out and quickly charge out, charge up cars very quickly, and they'll obviously offer a wide network of fast chargers compared to Tesla superchargers, which is kind of awesome. So, uh, 
the EGMP. Coming to your next uh, Hyundai Kia Ionic EV or Genesis EV, if you see an electric from those brands, just know it came on the school architecture. This is a good starting point. That's that's all. They're you know driving it forward. That's for sure. And finally, um, this is like just a little industry news. If you're into podcasts, like Amazon's looking to buy Wondery for three hundred million dollars, which is which is I mean. Which is interesting. Um, I mean, I'd say that uh, straight off the bat, this is a podcast, woohoo! But um, this, this is according to the Wall Street Journal uh, because Wondery is really one of the top podcast players in the U.S. I mean, it's one of the biggest players in podcasts. It's not owned, and the interesting part, it's not owned by any other broadcaster or streaming service or player that's heavily trying to dominate podcasts like Spotify. Uh, and it's like really the only in, in independent player out there, but it's making some top-notch shows that are scripted and unscripted. The, and the interesting thing is that Amazon's not the only one who's buying, is interested in buying. Apple and Sony Music want to buy Wondery, which is interesting. I'm sure the real money is in the IP that, I, I've, I've commented already about it on Twitter. If you don't follow me on Twitter, let's say it on the score mount 99. But um, I think the real reason why Amazon or Apple or even I mean, Sony Music would want to buy a brand like Wondery. I mean, they make a lot of... Actually, the real value of Wondery, when I earlier mentioned, on, when I tweeted earlier, was the IP. They had all those scripted shows, things like Blood Ties and Doctor Death and and what's that other one? Um, uh, American Inventions. Like that, that kind of content. They've already actually taken some of their true crime, uh, took some of the sort of the thriller and drama podcasts straight into actual TV shows. And mini mo- and TV movies and stuff. So they've adapted their content to the big screen and the small screen, and that means that there's real money in Wondery as the content. Guys, it's not just that they want to be in the podcast boom. There's obviously one to dominate podcasting to beat Apple and you know Spotify, but there's also the content. I I I kind of feel that why Amazon wants to buy Wondery would probably be not only to strengthen their podcast selection. Uh, for their services, but also there's the content element. Like I mean, shows like Shows like Bad Batch and Doctor Death, like these are, I mean, I mean, Doctor Death, I think, is already being made for Peacock. That's the thing. So that's going to be complicated. But for other podcasts, they're like scripted and documentary-ish and, you know, like, uh, you know, like they're, they're fictional or real and stuff. Like they can turn them into shows for Prime Video and they've already done one show, Prime, and there's one original Prime series, uh, there's one Prime original series that is based on a podcast that's, I think that's Gimlet's Homecoming that uh, that's based that on which a series was made so amazon's probably needing more ip to boost prime video and, and amazon music and stuff so this is probably good if apple's if apple ends up buying it for a bit more money then it could help them too in that in that same manner so that's interesting where all the in where the whole industry is headed primarily so uh i mean podcasts are growing everyone's listening to them and everyone wants a slice of the pie I mean, um, I mean, uh, your boys is podcasting. There is probably be a whole network one day. I don't know when that day will come soon. It's not a question of if; it's more like a question of when. And uh, if you all, uh, thousands of you, millions of you, listen to it, then okay. But yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Um, t- reading that up. So that was the podcast. Uh, what do you think? Of everything you heard today? Let me know. Uh, obviously on Twitter, Instagram, message me there, or so obviously. Uh, at Satan score mountain nine nine follow me there if you can and uh, yeah I mean um, 
And uh, also, I'll try to probably do the best of 2020 list soon, or next week or so. Probably next week we'll do that, hopefully. So that's one to look out for. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, stay safe and drink lots of hot chocolate. And uh, if you can build a snowman in your backyard, do that. Uh, you know, stay safe, stay home if you can. Aside from that, have a great day. Thank you for listening. It's your boy Mount signing out. Remember, you really are a great person. You're worth so much. All right? Ciao. Bye. Like, bye. Bye-bye.